Welcome to the Leading Results Fitness Podcast, interviewing some of the best athletes in the world, discussing the training, diet, and supplement principles of top coaches, educating you on all the things fitness and business. Sponsored by the UK's cheapest supplement supplier, My Gym Sucks. Find all the top brands and lowest prices at www.mygymsucks.com. Also sponsored by the only female subscription site, Pro Female Fitness, where you can find some of the UK's best athletes discussing their diets and training, with an interactive forum where you can ask any question and the athletes will get back to you. They have a library of over 300 videos to watch and learn. Now let's hand over to your host, Rob Whitfield, with this week's episode. Hi guys and girls, thanks for joining us again today on the Leading Results Fitness Podcast. Uh, today it's a privilege to be joined by John De La Rosa. John turned pro in 2011. Since turning pro, he's had 12 top five victories in the IFBB. He also won the 2015 Winds of Strength show. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you guys? Very well, thank you, John. John, we'll kick straight off. And um, what was it that got you into bodybuilding and competitive bodybuilding? So, um, for those of you guys that aren't familiar with uh, my name and my family, my father's a bodybuilder. Um, still to this day, actually, he's uh, fifty. He's going to be fifty-six. Um, still competing. Still, you know, slinging around some weights in the gym. You know, uh, so growing up, I, I got very, very close to bodybuilding, you know, watching the Olympias. Uh, I can remember as far back as seeing Lee Haney win his last one. Um, so it was, it was, uh, it was something that had been in my family and, um, it quickly became something that me and my dad would do together. Um, and it just, uh, it just kept evolving from there. I fell in love with, um, that time with my dad. I fell in love with how I felt afterwards. I fell in love with, the idea that I can create something with myself and with these weights. Um, and I just love, uh, you know, everything about bodybuilding, the physiques, the, the just looking at these guys, like almost superhuman Jesus, you know? And, uh, that's how I got into it. You know, I was really, really young. And, um, like I said, it was just something that was, you know, me and my dad did. And I remember watching, you know, the, the, um, Muscle Time shows on the weekend with Sean Ray and Lavrone and Flex Wheeler, and um, I looked forward to that. So it's been I've been I've been involved in this industry for a really long time, and it's been it's been awesome. Oh, that's a great story. That's Especially great. Yeah. being able to share that time with your father. That's, that's really really nice. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's a special um, relationship that we have till this day. We still train together. We make it a make it a point to although he has his business and I have mine and we have you know sometimes conflicting schedules but if we make it happen I mean we make it happen at least three or four times a week that we train together still so it's a it's an important part of my life it's a part you know my, my dad is my best friend through all of our endeavors in bodybuilding you know I'm, I'm really fortunate to have that connection and, and that relationship with him um that I might not have otherwise had if it wasn't for the sport. That's awesome, John. And when you first competed, John, obviously your dad was probably a very heavy influence on you. Um, yeah. How did you find your first show? Did you really enjoy it? Did you think this is great where I want to be, or wasn't you sure? So, yeah, I mean, the first time, my mom didn't allow me to lift weights, truly, until I was about 14. She said it would stop my growth, right? So, um, it was fun. It was a really, really great time because what it allowed me to do again was create something on my own. Um, you know, I, I grew up playing team sports. I grew up playing basketball, football, and even baseball at times. And um, one of the greatest things that I was able to accomplish was to get on stage, do my diet, train, and transform my physique the way that I wanted it to look. Um, I was 18 years old, 17 years old, almost eight. Yeah, I was 18. And, uh, I just remember looking, looking at my dad, like it, it didn't matter where I placed. I had so much fun during the prep. It didn't matter where I placed. I remember looking at my family out in the sand. My mom was there. My grandma was there. My grandmother loves bodybuilding, by the way. Um, she comes to all my shows when she can make it. 
But uh, my whole family was there, and just looking out at them when I was on stage was, was awesome, you know. And I knew right then and there that it was something that I wanted to do for a long time. Now, I ended up winning the competition, um, my weight class and the overall. And really, really interestingly enough, um, a name that maybe a lot, unfortunately, a lot of today's bodybuilders are not familiar with, um, a gentleman named by Bob Gruskin had uh, approached me after the competition. He was, uh, sorry, those, those are my dogs. <laughs> I could hear them. Um, but a gentleman named by Bob, Bob Gruskin had approached my father and I after the competition. And uh, we were kind of just like, we didn't know who he was. It's just some old, old guy kind of talking to us. And we were like, man, who is this quack job? And uh, it ended up being Bob Gruskin. And Bob Gruskin had some really powerful words that still to this day stick with me. He uh, turned and said to me and my dad that I was going to be something really special in the IPB. And uh, if I wanted to you know, be one of the best, I would be. I just needed to work for it and that eventually it, will ha it would happen. And, you know, looking back at that now, I don't know, 13 years ago, 14 years ago now, it's like, geez, if you would have told me at 170 pounds that I was going to be, you know, one of the top contenders in almost every show that I went into, I would have said, you're nuts. But, but you know, the old man saw something in me and, um, again, it stuck with me until this day. Are you um, are you still friends with that gentleman, John? Yeah, we email back and forth. Um, I haven't heard from him in quite some time. I hope he's doing well. But um, for those of you guys who don't know, Bob Gruskin actually helped Arnold out um, back in Arnold's days. So he's that's from that era. That's certainly a massive accolade John, if he if he helped Arnold out, and it must be complimentary to yourself as well. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's brilliant. As, and when did you realize, John? I said, I know you said you, you really enjoyed that first show, but when do you realize you're actually quite good at this and, and you could possibly make a living out of it? Well, I didn't realize, I mean, all those years competing, again, I, I, did, I was just having fun. I was cleaning house and winning a bunch of shows, but, you know, I was, I was a 170, 176-pound kid getting on stage. I never thought, hey, you know what, I'm going to be able to beat a 230, 240, 250-pound bodybuilder. It just wasn't realistic to me at that weight. And uh, after winning a few of those, you know, NABA and IMBF shows, they're like all-natural organizations, ended up hearing about the NPC. And somebody said to me, you know, you should really try out the NPC. There's, there's a much better competition out there for you. So I said, well, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But those guys, you know, they're a little bit, they're a little bit more enhanced than I am. I don't, you know. So I said, you know what? If I do well, then that's a pretty good indication for me, at least, that there's something to this for me. And uh, at 21 years old, I ended up doing my first NPC competition, and um, I ended up winning my weight class, all natural. I was 190 pounds, um, and I, I was blown away. I was like, wait a second. I just beat guys that, number one, God knows how long they've been enhanced for. And I'm completely natural. I did my own diet. I did my own training. I did everything on my own with the help of my father, of course, and I ended up winning this show. And I was like, okay, well, maybe there is something to what Bob was telling me a few years back. Oh, that's good, John. It's a good story to hear that you got to that level without taking you know, supplements and, and enhancements. Right. And because especially the, the younger generation these days, they, they seem to, you know, I remember when I first started bodybuilding, we, we would talk about what protein powder they would, we would use. Right. And, and now that they, they've gone one step further and, and they're talking about what, what enhancements that they're using two weeks into training. So yeah. that, that's really good to come in from a top pro like you, John, to show that you don't, you know, you don't need everything in the world to win a regional show. You know? No. And I, and I went into the gym. My father always, um, you know, my father instilled really good morals in me and, and, you know, made sure that I respected the gym, made sure that I respected the people in the gym, and he made sure that I respected bodybuilding as an art and a, as, an, as a sport. So I remember, like, it, you know, when, when a subject like that came up, number one, um, he, he was completely against it at the time. You know, he was, look, you're not, you're not there. It's not a conversation we're going to have. And, and that was it, you know, and I was completely okay with it. 
But the conversations we did have in the gym were, hey, I see you have a really good chest. What do you do for your workouts? That, that, those were the conversations that were had. Not, hey, uh, what does your cycle look like? Which is like, you, like you, what you were re- referring to. It was the first thing that most of the kids today jump to. And um, they're missing this whole, you know, thing about bodybuilding where, you know, the work is really what counts, not the supplements you take, not how much you're taking or, you know, I hear a lot of guys, I'm doing a little bit of coaching on the side now, and some of these cycles that these kids send me at the regional level, at the local level, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, for sure. And and then I look at videos of them training on their Instagram or YouTube, and it's like they're not even training hard. So it's, uh, you know, it's bodybuilding is uh, really near and dear and special to me. And it's something, like I said, my father made sure that I, I, I learned every aspect of it before even thinking about that. You know? I, was, I was very lucky in my early years, John. I didn't... I didn't really have a mentor like yourself, but there was a, a, a UK professional here called Ian Wadley. Um, he actually won the Night of Champions, I believe, back in 2001. Um, and, and that was very much the work ethic he installed in everyone. You know, this guy was, was huge when, when I first walked into the gym. He was enormous. And uh, you know, he's, he said, you concentrate on your training, you concentrate on your diet, you concentrate on your rest, and nothing else. Nothing else. Right. That's all you need to concentrate on. And the same, very, very similar conversation. He said, if you want to build a great set of shoulders, then you ask somebody who has a great set of shoulders. You don't ask them anything else. That's what you ask them. And and that, that I said, that is really is one of the major things that are missing these days. Like you said, people are uploading videos on Instagram and, and Facebook, and they're more interested about how many likes they get and how many shares they get than, than actually putting the work in and going balls to the wall during that set. Yep, absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely so, John, I remember reading the, the articles that you used to write for Muscular Development, and I remember reading, I believe it was one of the years that you'd done, one of the first years that you'd done the Nationals, in, and you was working as a lift engineer. Is that right, John? Yeah. yeah. Yep. And I remember reading that you used to sleep um, from getting on the train to going to the gym before you before you yeah. trained. When, yeah. when, well, firstly, how did you find um, working a full-time job and competing at the top national level? Um, it was really, really difficult, especially in that type of work. Um, I just found myself, you know, you're burning the candle at both ends at that point. Um, unfortunately, bodybuilding doesn't pay enough, you know, at at any level, even at at my level now, um, to just walk away from any type of income that you might be able to make. Um, unless you're like a Phil Heath or Kai Green or Jay Cutler where you have that opportunity. Most most guys don't. So I had to work, but I had this dream, and I remember every day just being so conflicted, like, man, you know, I've been so close to, you know, I, I have all these accolades, I have all these um, predictions that I'm going to win my class. And, and I remember being so torn because I wanted to give it everything that I had, but I just, I couldn't, I had to work this full-time job and it was a very strenuous, laborious job. It wasn't a, you know, a desk job. I was lifting 800 pounds motors, 1200 pound motors for these elevators. And, um, it was really, really stressful, but, um, it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life because, um, it really showed me how badly I wanted this. Um, I remember my sleep schedule, like I had to be in bed, I had to be in bed by 9.45 so that way I can at least get seven hours of sleep so I can get up at four in the morning, do my cardio before I had, before I went to work, prep my meals, eat my breakfast and then be in, in the train by 6.30 headed downtown to the city so I can be on my job site by 7.30. Um, so everything had to be so regimented. And so on the dot, and I made it happen. And it was, um, like I said, it was an experience that sucked going through it. It was horrible going through it. I remember, you know, sitting in an elevator shaft on top of the elevator. We were working on top of the elevator, and the part my partner um, went out and got like I forget what it was. I think it was like a burger and fries from the deli down the block. And 
I'm sitting there eating my cold fish on top of the elevator in this dark elevator shaft, and I could hear the roaches and stuff crawling all over the walls. And I was just like, man, I don't know if I'm crazy or what, but, you know, if, if I don't win, like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I, I felt like I sacrificed everything and uh, actually didn't win that year. I actually ended up placing second. But uh, again, it just showed me how bad I wanted it, you know, and what, where I was willing to go for it. And you made a great point there, John, as well, that even, even at your level, at, at, you know, at a very good professional level, money isn't easy to earn in bodybuilding. You know, again, young children listening to this and, you know, people who are just starting off in the ranks, if they think they're going to earn a living from bodybuilding there, they're very misunderstood. That's not the road that bodybuilding is for. It's for massive self-pleasure um, right. and self-mastery. There isn't loads of money in bodybuilding. And, and I think that's no. a common misconception that people think as well, that you know, you, you do a show and all of a sudden a sponsor comes to you with a six-figure six figure salary that doesn't happen. No, not at all. Not anymore. In the 90s, yeah, early 2000s, sure. But now, with the uh, likes of social media, um, these companies don't see the value in paying an athlete, you know, three hundred thousand dollars, a hundred, even even fifty thousand dollars. They don't see the value in paying them that because they can get somebody with a large following to make a post for it for just two hundred dollars in product a month. Yeah. yeah. So you know, but the the bodybuilding the bodybuilding industry has changed humongously, like just leaps and bounds in the last few years, and it's um. It's getting harder for bodybuilders. I think it says a lot when people say, hey, you know what? The bodybuilders of today are not like the bodybuilders of the 90s. Good point. But most of the bodybuilders in the 90s, all all they had to do was eat, sleep, and train. Now we have to do what we have to do, whether it's personal training, whether it's opening a business. I've had my own business. I own Nutrition Locker, which was a supplement store. I mean, I've done whatever I had to do to, to... Continue living my dream, but making sure I had to you know, the means to pay my bills at home as well. Of course, yeah, yeah of course. And when you left your job, John, um, did you feel added pressure? Did you think right, I've really got to make something of this now? Or you know, of course you would have. Um, so can you can you talk about that a little bit, please, John? So it was it was the scariest thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, my wife now, God bless her. She, uh, I remember, like, we, uh, we had, we had talked about it and, um, she was like, yeah, quit your job. Let's, let's go for it. Almost like it was like, uh, you know, like not, not that big of a deal. You know, we're, we won't make any money, but it will be okay. And, you know, now looking back at it, I mean, it gets me a little bit emotional because looking back at it, it's like my wife had so much faith in my dream, you know, even though it was it maybe a stupid dream for some, you know, maybe somebody hearing this is like, wow, why would you leave a, a job being an elevator mechanic where you have great benefits, you're making good money, you know, just, you know, living the American dream, right? Um, young and pursue a career where there's not much money. It, it sounds really dumb, I know, but you know, my wife had that much faith in me and it was kind of like, she didn't even second guess it. She was like, yeah, quit your job. I, I want you to be an IPV pro. If this is what you want to do, let's do it. And I remember like contemplating it for weeks. I was like, I don't know. I, I was just so scared. I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Um, you know, and you start looking at, you know, Phil Heath, right? I look, I, I use this reference a lot and I don't know if it's a good reference or a bad reference, but if you think about how long Phil Heath has been lifting, Right, it's a pretty short time. Yeah, yeah. I've been lifting almost twice as long as Phil Heath. So again, I don't know if that's a good reference or a bad reference, but it's a good indication that some guys are meant for this, and some guys, you know, can do well, but maybe not meant to be Mr. Olympia, where you're making and living a very good life. Um, long story short, uh, it took me about two weeks, and I spoke to my wife, girlfriend at the time, and I told her, look. We're gonna. I'm gonna pay the rent for the next three months. I was. Get, I just started getting ready for the New York Pro. We had this small little one bedroom apartment in Queens, and I told her, 
we'll pay the we'll pay the apartment for the next three months, and we'll try and make it with the money that I have saved until the New York Pro. And I left my job with good on good terms. They understood what I was doing and and offered me my job if things didn't work out to come back. You know, they they appreciated the work that I had done for them so much so that they said, you know what, we want you to go do this. And if it doesn't work out, your job is always going to be here. So it made me feel a little bit more comfortable with the situation that I was now putting myself in. And uh, we did it. I paid the three months rent ahead of time. And the next three months were absolute hell. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, as everybody listening to this knows, the bodybuilding sport is not a uh, cheap sport. Very, very expensive. My wife was dieting at the time. I was dieting at the time. We were spending about $300 a week on, you know, food and, uh, you know, sometimes supplements too were hurting my pockets. And I remember, this is a true story. I remember about five days before the New York Pro, I, uh, and you can, you'll listen to my wife if you, if you guys get her on the air. Uh, she'll tell this story, I'm sure. You could ask her about it. But I remember about five days before the New York Pro, we uh, were looking underneath the car seats for change because I needed asparagus to eat. We didn't have money to go to the store and even buy asparagus. We had nothing. I was literally down to nothing before the New York Pro. And then two days before the New York Pro, I came home late from training and I parked the car. Again, we were in Queens. It's, it's in the city. Um, I parked the car on the street and the next morning I come out to drive back to the gym to do cardio and my car is gone. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And um, it literally brought me to tears because I didn't know what else to do. I had no money. They just towed my car because they were doing construction on the street and I didn't see the sign the night before. It was dark. So now we have no car, we have no money, we have nothing. And my wife comes, uh, my my wife, then girlfriend comes down and just sees me there just literally in tears and says to me, it's okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to look back one day at this time and we're going to laugh about it. And still, you know, the, the thing that I said earlier, like I said, is she just, her unwavering, belief in that I was meant to do this gave me strength in so many different ways. And, you know, I was, I'm not afraid to say it. Like I said, I was standing there in the street. It was raining. I was soaked. I was crying. I, I just, I felt like I like the biggest loser in the world. I, I was just like, Jesus, I gave up everything to go lift fucking weights. That's what I did. And I, and look at me. I can't even afford asparagus. My car got towed. I can't even afford to get it out. And we've got nothing. And, and I felt like I was so responsible for so much stress the last few months, you know. And uh, all the sacrifice paid off. You know, I ended up placing fifth in a very, very tough lineup. Rami won the show um, that year. And you know, things just continue to get better there for me. And I, I promised myself that I would never put myself, my wife or my family in that situation again. And I never have. I've only grown since then. So, John, that's a really, really touching story. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was, of course, yeah. That's really, really good. And again, it just shows the highs and lows of bodybuilding. You know, you know, two days before, two days before the show, you're, you're rock bottom and then, and I'm sure placing fifth in New York as well, you know, almost your hometown, you know, where, where yeah. you had everybody there. I'm sure that, that put you on a massive high as well. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, that's why I'm telling this story because, like you said and alluded to earlier, the, the misconception that we live this lifestyle of the rich and famous is so crazy. Like, and I know where it comes from, you know. When you when you get slapped on the cover of a magazine, what is, what is the person supposed to think? Oh, wow, he's on a magazine cover. Look at him. He's all over the Internet. I mean, I mean, like I said, there's been more moments in my life and in this career that I'd like to, you know, that I wouldn't like to remember that I look at my bank account and I'm just like, Oh God, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know, but again, I mean, this is my passion. 
This is something that I love, 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 love with all of my heart. And although there's been a lot of times that sucked, there's been a lot of great times, like you said, you know, winning Chicago Pro was the highlight of my career. I went in there with bronchitis. I had been fighting, you know, the lung infection for weeks. And I still did my cardio, even though I couldn't breathe. I still did everything. I stuck to it 100%. And I remember talking to the competitors backstage, and I said, guys, don't get too close to me. I have bronchitis. I just want you guys to know so you guys don't get sick. But I'm going to I'm gonna be up on stage. I don't care if I have to be carried out. I'm going up there. And I ended up winning, you know. So that was, again, a, a huge moment in my career, but also a testament to how far I was willing to go. You know, I, I couldn't hit a front double bicep without without coughing it up, you know. Yeah. yeah. So. And you finished second uh, three, four times ago, um, as a pro. Uh, you've had a yeah. win over in the, the, the Chicago Winds of Strength. Um, how how different is it, John? You know, from finishing first to second. What what are the emotions you go through? Are you a guy, John, who obviously we always prep to win. You know, anybody who bodybuilds preps to win. Um, right. But do you look back at some of those shows where you finish second and you think, you know, what I'm I'm very happy with the package I brought. Okay, I'm not happy with the placing, but I'm happy with the package I brought. Always, always. I I'm, I try to see the positive in things. So I try to when I when I, now I'm doing a bit of coaching. And um, as you said, we always prep, as athletes, we prep ourselves to win. That is what we sacrifice for. That is what we train for. That is, nobody wants to get out of bed and say, yeah, well, I'm just hoping to place fifth. No. No, you want to win. And, um, but I tell my athletes, look, one thing we have to keep in mind is that this is a personal journey, right? You have no control over who's going to show up in the show. You know, if you have a family death or something that may distract from your prep that may change the outcome, you have no control over those things. You also don't have any control over the judging panel. Judging panels can change vastly, right? The opinions of the judges can be very, very different. You might have a judging panel this week that says, you know what, I really like the big, freaky, muscular guy. It doesn't matter. Shape doesn't matter as much. Conditioning doesn't matter as much. He's just a huge, big, freaky-looking bodybuilder. He fills all the, the likes for that judging panel. The next week, it might be the same group of guys, and they go for the smaller guy with prettier shape and really good conditioning. And this leaves fans scratching their heads like, what, what happened? Yeah. I mean, it's the same lineup. They, you know, judging panels can change the, the likes and dislikes of these judges. So I try and tell everybody, well, of course, we train to win, and we want to win every show we go into. But realistically, we know that that's not going to happen unless you're freaking Phil Heath. <laughs> um, but realistically, we know that's not going to happen. So we have to control what we control, what we can control. And number one, that's going to be our emotions, especially after a show. It, it's going to suck if you don't win. We know that. But it's only going to suck as much as you let it. Right? If you say, damn, well, I was so close, you know, maybe next time, and you kind of just dust it off real quick and you start looking at the positives. Well, I did everything I could. You know, my conditioning was pretty good. My, my size was pretty good. You start to look at the positives. Or you could just drive yourself into the ground and say, oh, I just suck. You know, I can't believe I didn't win. And then you're going to ride out this depression for how long? And you're not doing anything good or positive for yourself at that point. So that's the way I see it. Whenever I, I play second and third, and does it suck? Yeah, it really, really sucks because a win, especially at this level, can change the, traje the trajectory of your career, right? I'll use the 2014 Arnold Classic uh, Brazil as an example. Now, we all know the controversy that went on with that and, you know, the winner and some people had me winning. Some people had Lionel winning. Whatever. That was a second job, just to clarify for this, wasn't it? It was a second. What was that? that was second that one year, wasn't it? It was second. I was third that year. Third. Oh, sorry. Right. Kukulo ended up winning. Um, Juan came in second. I came in third. Lionel came in fourth. Um, after prejudging, you know, 
most people had Lionel and me battling out for first. Juan battled, you know, getting third. And I forget, uh, Marius Doni, fourth. Kukla wasn't even really in that top five. But whatever. Long story short, Kukla ends up winning. But if you think as a professional bodybuilder, what that can do to your career and to your confidence moving forward, right? Had I won that show, number one, I would have been much better financially, you know, just, you know, winning 40 grand and winning 10 grand was a big jump there. Right. So I would have been much better off financially and my confidence would have been much better. So it's, I think it's pretty safe to say, looking back at, how I felt the last few years after that competition, I, I felt like it didn't matter what I looked like, I wasn't going to beat the bigger guys. Because that was arguably one of my best showings. So the confidence wasn't there, and that fell into my training. That fell into just my whole mindset. And if, you're, if you feel that way going into a prep, you're already beat. And I think that's played a large part in the last two years of my, my competition history. Now, maybe why it hasn't gone so well. But this year is totally different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this year, John, talking about this year, you went, uh, sorry, last year you went over to Kuwait. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, first of all, John, just, just tell us about, uh, just talk a little bit about Kuwait, how you found it, um, just being around the, the, the bodybuilders there and that atmosphere. And, and just have us, uh, just a quick chat about Kuwait, John. Mm-hmm. So, I remember Victor had been wanting to go out to Kuwait for some time, but um, he wanted to make sure that I, I went with him. Yeah, I was kind of like not really into it, being halfway around, around the world, away from my family, away from my wife. I wasn't really crazy about the idea, uh, but uh, after the New York Pro, where I placed seventh, um, or eighth, I forget where it was, then I placed seventh, but um, last year, Batter had come up to me, Batter Budai, uh, who's an, an incredible human being, just a really nice, genuine guy, loves bodybuilding, um, probably more than anybody I know. Um, he had come up to me and Victor and said, guys, I want you to come out to Kuwait. So Victor and I looked at each other like, all right, well, if there's any time, this is the time for us to do it. So we went out. Uh, Victor ended up going out for three weeks and I went out for seven. Um, I really wanted to redeem myself and, and prove to myself that um, I was still a good bodybuilder. At that point in my career, I was like really just not in a good place. Um, I had brought in a, uh, a partner into my business. Uh, it was a, the worst business decision I'd ever done. But I needed help running my shop while I wasn't while I was traveling for bodybuilding. Um, the guys ended up not being such good people, and uh, they took my store from me. So I was, you know, legally going through a lot, and just my head was just not there. So I needed it was it almost seemed perfect to just get away um, and just kind of focus on bodybuilding, which I'm sure you know anybody with any shred of intelligence will tell you, doesn't matter how far you run, your problems are always going to be there. So I ran to Kuwait and, you know, tried to do all my best to focus and, um, and I never left my wife with any of the business, business decisions or anything like that. But, um, she said she would handle everything moving forward with the lawyers and so on and so forth with the store, but it was taking a toll on her. She was calling me crying and, you know, it was just it was just a really bad time. Um, but as far as Kuwait, it was it was a, an amazing experience as a bodybuilder. Um, it really showed me the importance of being regimented again, being able to get your rest, and how you can perform at levels you never thought you'd be able to perform if you really make bodybuilding your job. So it was it was interesting. Like when we got there. You know, they got us our food sponsors, our supplement sponsors, everything was, you know, all set up for us when we got there. And uh, we were assigned trainers. Um, a lot of you guys know Askar and Abdullah. Those are the, the trainers that are out there. Um, Anaki's another one. There's a bunch of guys that are really, really good. 
So the trainers came to our house and said, okay, we want you sleeping by this time. We want you eating at this time. We want you napping by this time. And we were like, these guys nuts. Like, but they, uh, they made this program for us and they wanted us to stick to it. And they made sure that we did. And uh, at first, you know, I would get up in the morning and I wasn't used to taking a nap because I would, I was used to driving over to my store and taking care of customers. And so I was never able to nap. So I remember they were, they were getting like frustrated because I couldn't nap. Like they were, they just wanted me to sleep. They're like, just sleep. I'm like, I can't, you know? So it, it took me a while to get into the swing of things. But once I did, man, training was just great. I remember walking into the ener- into the gym with, with the, the kind of energy that I hadn't felt in years. Uh, you know, obviously being an adult and having your responsibilities at home, you know, play a, play a part in that. But really being able to focus on training was just, it was a really, really cool experience. And it was, uh, at some times it was like, almost like you're walking into the torture chamber. You knew that these guys, they weren't, they were not going to let you leave anything in the tank. They wanted you to just leave it all in the gym and they were out to like, just destroy every session but you know with that with that fear came a little bit of excitement like you wanted to prove to them you could get through it you know what i mean and we always did sometimes not so easy but you know the training was just awesome the guys were great um i had a really cool spiritual experience out there you know i prayed with the guys and i like to um when i travel i like to really take in the culture and you know it just makes you I think a little bit wiser. It makes you appreciate what we have a little bit more. and um, So I think overall for me, it was just a really, really awesome experience. You touched on uh, leaving your family here, John. Was that the hardest yeah. part of going out there? Man, it was, again, you know, because of the, the legal battle that we were just entering as I, was, as I was leaving with my store and, you know, my partner at the time, uh, that really bothered me but my wife again my wife wanted me to go do what i needed to do and chase my dreams and um but it was really hard you know because the time difference out there is so different so as i was getting up my wife was going to bed you know and and vice versa so it was really really hard to uh to talk we maybe spoke i don't know maybe 20 30 minutes a day because our schedules were so off um and you miss them, you know, you end up, of course, you miss, you miss your family, you miss seeing them, you just smelling them, you miss everything, you just miss everything from home. It's funny, like, I never thought I would miss smells from home, and you do. You miss, you miss the way your home smells, you miss the way your wife smells, you miss everything, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you uproot your whole life, and you just ship yourself off, and you throw yourself into the middle of the desert, with you know people that you don't even really know, and the language you know, there's language barriers, cultural barriers. There's a lot of stuff that you have to kind of um, deal with, you know. And there's some guys out there, John, making some tremendous improvements. You know, Brandon Curry, Nathan Diasha, those guys. Um, I remember when I first ever spoke to Flex Wheeler, he said he used to look at Lila Brada. And Lila Brada would be a pro's pro. And I never knew what that meant until, until he explained it. And people, John, on the forum call you a pro's pro. You never miss a meal. You never miss a training session. Um, you know, everything is always done on point. Um, so maybe some of these guys are not so on point as you. Do you think that's possibly the reason they're making these huge changes? Absolutely. So let's, let's take Victor, for example. Um, I know Victor very, very closely. Um, he's one of my best friends. So I, I know Victor doesn't eat all his meals sometimes. Victor doesn't have food sometimes unless things are planned out for him. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Just a few weeks ago, he was traveling and he didn't have food. You know, we're a few weeks out of, he's a few weeks out of South Africa and he traveled without his food. That, for me, that would never happen. I plan accordingly and even, I even plan ahead. I even make sure I have an extra one or two meals just in case I get held up somewhere, you know. Victor, 
doesn't plan so well. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, that that's why Victor came back in three weeks, made such a huge change, you know, and I, and I still believe Victor is one of the best in the world. If he was able to get out there for three months, I think Phil Heath would have a big problem, you know. Um, Victor has the shape, he has the muscularity, but Victor also has, you know, kids at home and all the other responsibilities that we were talking about earlier that kind of make it hard for us to leave. When I saw him on uh, Saturday, he was actually eating a flapjack. <laughs> and it, it did make me laugh. Um, so, yeah. Um, but no, I, I say, he, like, I, I saw the picture, um, I think he uploaded it at four weeks out uh, doing the side chest, and you know, he's razor sharp at four weeks out. So yeah. I really, yeah, really look forward to see what he brings to the stage this year. Yeah, me too. Um, so you talked about some of the some of the coaches that you used out in Q8, John. Um, can you tell us some of the coaches you have used in the past and uh, some different methods they may have? Are they, you know, as uh, some of the coaches you've used in the past, very lots of cardio, very high carbs. Have you ever used people who are completely opposite method? How have you found uh, different coaching methods, John? So I've only worked with three coaches, and as an IFBB pro, I've worked with Fakri Mubarak. I've worked with Chris Aceto and George Farrow. Um, I'd have to say, yeah, I'd have to say that my favorite coach or coaching style would, would have to be Chris Aceto. I love, I love Chris. Like, I mean, me and Chris will talk about business. We'll talk about his kids. We'll talk about you know houses, whatever. Um, I just, I feel very, very comfortable when my coach calls me and the first thing out of his mouth isn't like. So what's your weight today? You know, he's kind of like, "Hey, how you feeling?" You know, he he really wants to see how I'm doing. So that kind of makes it a lot easier. And then from there, you know, he would always make adjustments. Sometimes we were on really high carbs. Sometimes we weren't. You know, he would kind of really pay attention to what's going on with your body. Whereas some coaches, um, just kind of follow, you know, a high carb plan the whole time. Like I know Factory likes to feed his clients a lot. Um, but he also does a lot of cardio, so you'll be on the you'll be on the stairs for three hours a day. But you're eating a lot of food as well. So that approach for me really didn't work too well. Um, but I, I also like the way George worked. Factory worked good too, but I only worked with Factory for one show. For with Factory, I actually I actually um, with Farah I actually turned pro with Farah at the USA's, and um, that was the last time I worked with him. But Farrell was also had a, a like a moderate uh, carb approach, a little bit of fats and, and a little bit of carbs. So I like that approach as well. I um, I was lucky enough, enough actually, to attend a seminar last year with Chris Sito and Sean Roden. Um, yeah, and Chris Sito is also helping a, a UK pro called Sasan Harati. Um, mm-hmm. And I, again, I managed to speak to Sasan over the weekend, and he said he says very much a similar thing to yourself that. Chris is very good at man managing people. He he micromanages really really well, and he makes right. you feel like you're his only client. Um, right. And and that that obviously that isn't a case. I'm sure he's got thousands of clients, but you know to feel like you're the only person that he's working with, I'm sure is a great feeling. Yeah, I mean personally for me, the year I did my best, 2014, or not that I did my best, but I felt was my best look. I, Chris was with me almost for three weeks straight from Orlando, Florida. He went home for a few days, came back to my house. We left to Brazil together. We were out in Brazil for a week and almost a week and a half together, you know, so I was literally his only client there and that was when I looked my best. My dad describes working, work when I worked with Chris as watching an artist put the final touches on his masterpiece. That's how amazing it was to watch for my dad to actually watch what Chris was doing and the way he did it and you know at times we all questioned we were like are you sure you know we're gonna be ready for the show and Chris was like cool as as a cucumber yeah don't worry John you're gonna be fine and sure enough man literally the day before the Orlando Pro I turned to my wife I said Babe, I don't think I'm gonna look good for this show. I, I'm like, I'm holding way too much water. I don't know how we're gonna get this off. 
when I saw the pictures of the Orlando Pro when I played second to Justin, I was like, damn it, I almost beat Justin. Yeah. <laughs> I looked really, really good. And then Brazil just got better, you know. And Chris was, again, he's very, very good at Because I know that although he was with me, I know he had a, probably 100 other clients that he was helping at the time as well. Yeah, so, yeah Sassan's made Sassan. some incredible improvements on the as a seater as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about prep, John, what is, um, how long do you usually diet for? What's your normal duration of prep? Um, I like to diet for, well, this year, since I'm doing everything on my own, I don't have a prep coach this year. I'm doing everything on my own. I started about 18 weeks out. Um, it's a little long, but um, I gave myself time to kind of fall in love with that process again and doing it on my own. You know, I hadn't done that since I was an amateur. Um, since I turned pro, I pretty much had, even the year before I turned pro, I had coaches that were kind of overseeing my prep. So, um, normally I, I like to do like a 16-week, 14-week prep. That's, that's more than enough time, I think. But this year I gave myself an extra month and kind of, you know, made sure I got all the hiccups out. There have been no hiccups, thank God, but made sure that if I did get any hiccups, I was able to correct them with plenty of time. So, And I think this will probably be my best showing to date. I'm uh, right on par with, as far as condition, I'm right on par with how I looked for Orlando and, and Brazil. So it should be pretty fun. Awesome. awesome. And what's your goal for 2017, John? Uh... My goal for 2017 was to win the New York Pro. That's uh, That's been, a, again, one of my dreams and goals for a long time. Um, it's right in my backyard. It's literally a two-minute drive from my house. So my whole family's going to be there again. It's just one of those things where it just feels right. It feels like this is, uh, is going to be the time. Well, good luck, John. Good luck. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, any advice John, you would give to a young bodybuilder coming up in the ranks? The, the best I can give any bodybuilder or aspiring bodybuilder advice is to be consistent and, to, and, and not to forget how important, you know, looking at this sport as, as an art is. It's not about what supplements you need to take or how much of the supplements you need to take. Um, look at, look at, I hate to, I'm not even going to use his name, but there's, there's people out on the internet who are famous for just saying what they use and they look like poop, right? And, and it's so, images. yeah, so if you're one of those people that thinks supplements is the key, I mean, just take a look at those people. They didn't really get far in this industry. Um, or on, on stage, to, you know. So don't forget the art of bodybuilding and, and fall in love with what it means to grab a dumbbell and build bigger biceps. You know, grab a bar and build a big, bigger back. That's art. That's some, There's something beautiful in that. Um, and there's something super, super rewarding looking back and being able to say, I built, I built this chest. This is something I did with hard work. Nobody can ever take that from you. Um, it's not as easy as people think. But when you look back at it, it'll be much, much, much more rewarding than you would ever thought. Like I said, looking back, one, for me, looking back at my pictures at 170 pounds, I, I'm like, Jesus, I can't believe how far I've come. But at the same time, you, you can't believe it because there were endless you know, hours in the gym, you know, I, I don't know how many chest workouts, back workouts, arm workouts I've been through since then, you know, so there's been hundreds, thousands of sessions. So yeah, you could believe it. But at the same time, it feels like it was just yesterday. Yeah. I still feel like that 170 pound kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the body dysmorphia in bodybuilding is, is crazy. We, uh, we always look at ourselves and, and pick weak points rather than strong points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I um, I once heard a quote, John, going back to what you just said, that I'm not sure who said it, but they said, there's a reason that people run marathons. There's a reason that people climb mountains. It's the journey it takes to get there. 
You know, you can get right. a helicopter to the top of that mountain or you can get a car to the end of that marathon. Same as bodybuilding. You know, there's a reason we take this journey um, because it's so rewarding. There's a reason that people run marathons and there's a reason that people climb mountains because there's all easy ways to get there. And apart from bodybuilding, there's no easy way to get there. But, you know, there's an easier way to get there. Um, but we follow that journey. We run those races. We, we climb those mountains for a reason and it's self-reward rather than anything else. Right. Absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent agree with that. And for those of the pe- for those people that think there's an easy way to get there, you're gonna end up looking like a like a blown up cartoon character, like that doesn't look good. There's no, you know, because there's gonna be other people out there that are gonna try and push things on you and say, oh, well, you can add inches with this, you could do this with that, and you're just gonna end up looking like a like a mess. So, like you said, there's no substitute for hard work. There's none. Absolutely. And finally, John, um, if people want to co- if people want to contact you for coaching, for posing, just for help, how are they able to get a hold of you, John? So, if you if you're looking for any kind of help, um, I, I'm not trying to solicit my coaching or anything like that. I would love to. One of my greatest passions in life is to help people, and that is one of the things that I absolutely love to do. Now, of course, if you're looking for uh, a program to get ready for your contest with and yeah that, that's going to require some work but if, if anybody out there has any questions that they need help answer you know answering um you can reach me at ifbbjdcoaching at gmail.com you could also reach out to me if you need coaching if, if that's what you're looking for but um if you have a few questions and anybody out there needs just help with i'm more than happy to help and with your coaching, John, um, do you coach both male and females and all types of athletes, or is it certain athletes that you coach? Yeah, so me and my wife have a pretty cool little program here. My wife coaches a lot of the females. Um, I coach a lot of the, the women's physique female, the, the females that are a little bit bigger than the, the bikini and figure athletes. But we kind of uh, handle everything together for the most part. So it's pretty cool. We have a, a pretty good balance. That's great. As I said, John, at the very start, we will be massively respectful of your time, especially during prep. Um, so, John, thanks ever so much, and I'm sure the viewers and the listeners will get a hell of a lot out of this, because I have. Um, so, John, thanks yeah. ever so much for your time. It really is appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, and make sure you subscribe. Until next time, check out all the athletes' updates on Pro Female Fitness. And for all your supplement needs, head over to www.mygymsups.com.